0: you're listening to the other analyst s podcast for more www.froon.com
1: there as well listen listen I'm, I'm.
0: Welcome to The Other Analyst Desk, the same expertise without the watered-down bullshit. I'm your host Frost, and this is our LEC special episode. I've split the guests, Crumbs will return next week after the start of the LCS, and you can listen to his LCS breakdown in episode 3 of Toad, which means that this episode features exclusively Veteran and the LEC content. Now, to account for some of the sound issues, I invited Veteran to a my home, I made him dinner, and recorded this episode. Unfortunately, one of my computers died, losing about 30 minutes of discussion. It's mentioned briefly at the beginning of this episode, but I'd like to take a moment to cover some of the general points veteran made and get everyone back up to speed. The last time Veteran joined us, we discussed the top teams in the LEC, so this episode focuses primarily on the rest of the region. We started with Rogue, where Veteran recaps their playstyle starting with Finn, and how Rogue identified specific top lane champions that didn't demand too many team resources or investment to acquire a lead and then spread that lead to the rest of the map, rather than a player like Prophet, who would commit much more towards split pushing and maintaining his own dominance. The examples given were champions like Urgot that Fnatic identified that didn't require jungle handholding to be impactful later, but others like Ornn or Scion would also fall into this category. And in checking Finn's most played champions of the year, Aatrox of course sat up there as it was for a majority of top laners just because Aatrox was pretty OP uh, back then with too many favorable matchups, but his second most played was actually tied for Kled and Urgot. So praise was given to Finn for his ability to make meaningful plays around the map. Uh, But the real kickoff for Rogue was always in their mid-game, where the praise for Vander comes in. The assumption was that it's Vander leading the comms for his team, and his exceptional ability to watch bouncing waves when enemy teams are setting up farm lanes or about to pick a lane to push, and Vander getting Rogue there to the play first. Rogue would then either deny the enemy from the wave or create a pick, and then fight on a numbers advantage that would snowball into an objective. Anyway, uh, I apologize for the technical difficulties, but as I said, on with the episode. Um, So we had to split this part up into multiple episodes. But just as a recap for you, where we kind of cut off because it was really a discussion about the teams, um, the teams that you wanted to talk about. Because we made you do that shotgun at the last, uh, at the end of the last episode, where you were talking about uh, misfits and and SK and Mad Lions, and we didn't get the chance to hit Rogue, and we just kind of covered what made rogue kind of surge in the middle of the lec split and kind of also then what made rogue fall apart at the very end Um, and we talked about their read on the meta and their ability to find champions that worked for them particularly in the top lane how finn would get advantages in his lane and then how he would use this around the map in tandem with vander's ability to recognize bouncing waves to create picks on the on the map and punish teams particularly in the mid game
1: yeah so um a lot of this wasn't necessarily available in summer obviously the meta around top changed though uh at least in playoffs we could still see that playing sort of low economy on top still works though Finn was doing this on more carry champions like Aatrox. The big issue when it came to Summer and the reason why they they couldn't win or go further than they were but why they could win the games that they were winning um, was that Summer was essentially defined by three different types of uh, EU LEC teams. Uh, the first was the... Uh, I, I, like, I like to say like more not necessarily standard but honestly the more amateur default style of playing our early game which is to essentially either to, to play your jungle for free man bots or for two-man top um, and then there were the people who played primarily around two-man mid-section so unlocking mid so you could have mid-jungle go out to specific side lanes and then you had the third kind which only G2 and Fnatic were doing which was free man on mid-section which was unlocking support to roam towards midsection and then roaming with that free man towards a sideline um, nemesis uh Nemesis benefited a lot from having Hilisang on his team and from the way that Reckless and Hillisang were able to play so spectacularly well together uh, to the point where they didn't even need Boxer to unlock them to then play to Freeman mid. Hilisang was able to create a really strong wave state on bot lane by trading HP himself and then moving towards midsection, then moving towards top section for the gangbang on Bwipo's lane, right? Um, and G2 were able to do a similar thing, though Yankos was a lot better about unlocking Mickey X himself and uh, and and the whole team as a, the team as a whole for G2's early game they, they worked a lot better together than Fnatic's Fnatic were just very dogmatic in it and there, there, there was a huge bot lane difference between them versus every other team such that they couldn't necessarily punish Reckless when Reckless was in a 1v2 scenario or match Hillersang properly enough in fact Splice understood this and unlocks Norskeren earlier than Hillersang and Norskeren was just matching Hillisang and every room towards midsection and that's why Humanoid was able to pop off so well over Nemesis because Nemesis didn't have the buff that he normally had, which was support jungle. Rogue were firmly in the standard slash amateur category. They were very firmly doing a uh, three man towards side, whereas Shulker, the team that would eventually beat them, were always doing the two man midsection towards side. Trick was very dogmatically going mid and then moving to side, but they could never ascend towards free man because Ignar is an incredibly overrated support player and has always just stayed dogmatically in bot lane and drawn all pressure towards him. Every single team he's ever been on they've all had to work for him and they've all had to play around him and if you don't play around him as we have seen he ints which is why the one they had to be left alone on an island for two splits in a row. Um, Rogue as a result were going to be able to beat the vast majority of teams uh, with this system because they had such phenomenally talented players and a very good system around wave bounces in mid to late game but they were never going to be able to break through the Fnatic G2 barrier and they couldn't even break through the Shulker barrier which which is very predictable if you just use this model, because in in this model, the, the two-man mid will counter the three-man side and the three-man mid will counter the two-man um, mid, which is why Shog had no chance against Fnatic and no chance against G2.
0: So my question kind of is, is looking at the meta, and obviously it's hard to predict because yeah. scrims for a lot of teams have just started. Um, we haven't seen a ton of competitive footage outside of Casper Cup or Damasia Cup, with the changes to Dragon and with a lot of, uh, I'm gonna say overpowered, broken champions roaming around in the bot lane, I know that is still super high priority as well, so there's still that possibility that you see champions not just in the bot lane um, that are broken or at least 100% ban presence. Is, does that system change where you're able to get a champion like Senna and play out uh, a, a roaming support? Um, Or is this now going to be, junglers are paying attention to bot lanes because of the dragon changes, or paying attention to top lane because the Rift Herald changes, or paying attention to the lanes with the most broken champions? Like, do you see a a shift happening here?
1: Well, note that this particular system doesn't necessarily mean that you don't play towards bot lane ever, or that you don't play towards top lane ever. You can play free man for midsection and still lean back towards bot side, for example. Mm -hmm. It's, It's not, this isn't necessarily something that gets changed via meta differences. I think that this is just a general progression of League of Legends strategic gameplay. Just the formula forward. that's evolved. Yeah. and the question of where we're going to end up playing, well, personally, I actually think Rift Herald is completely useless right now, uh, so if we're playing around anything, it may be more towards Drake's side of the map, you just want to think about neutral objectives, but even then, there are very good arguments for not necessarily going for the first two Drakes, outside of potentially Infernal, the rest are pretty useless, You could maybe argue that Cloud is good in certain scenarios, but overall they're they're kind of useless. You don't necessarily have to go for drakes until 3rd or 4th unless you're going for, like, a 25-minute Dragon Soul mark. You don't necessarily have to, which is why you've seen the rise of stuff like Carthus and really strong farming jugglers like this, right? Or Nocturne, for example, I've seen a lot of. Um... But that's not necessarily going to affect the dichotomy I've done. But however, Inspired is going to be affected by these particular changes because he was very, very, very good at reading Opposing Jungler about being positioned in the right place at the right time to be able to trade something uh, whenever he could. And he was very strong on champions like Olaf that have benefited heavily from uh, the recent changes to Jungle itself in particular with the lower lower, uh, respawn time of... uh, of jungle camps and also the removal of um, rubber banding.
0: Junglers that can farm very effectively and then are,
1: and jung- get more pathing options. And junglers that can that can abuse the window of, uh, for example, if you can trade for a five-minute first drake and try to go for the 25-minute dragon soul, then he's the kind of jungler that would be able to find those windows against either less experienced junglers or just junglers that are not as good as him. Right? So,
0: if... If we're going into the new season, because now we, we've set up where you pointed out the structures, we talked about what re- what made Rogue good last time, like yeah. h- how good is Rogue then in predictions for, for Spring Split? Is this Whoa. a team where people can actually get really excited and hop on board the Rogue hype train that they're going to be like a top four team? Or is this you know going to be kind of like the Misfits uh, theory that you were talking about in the previous episode where it's going to be a very quick, short burst, but we're going to see Rogue rise up because they've got that synergy that they have these systems in place that it's clear that they understand the fundamentals of the new form. Formula of League of Legends but if they don't figure out the meta immediately that they'll just fade away because they don't have the same talent ceiling that some of the top teams do in the LEC.
1: Yeah I mean this this wasn't a team that was built like that Miss Soster. that Miss Hits was uh, or the, the last year Miss Soster with, with the really strong star and then pff, was 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 essentially just let's buy up all of the best players we possibly can oh wait we aren't we aren't actually left with a team so when every other team actually starts emerging that they're, they're, they're screwed right um, this the the big benefit that they have here that could move them in towards up to the Freeman man mid uh, kind of method that they that they couldn't access last year is the upgrade in the bot lane, Hansama over Woolite. And uh, we have never really seen Sammer play with a more heavy roaming support outside of arguably Heaver, and they did win those games. Um, but... You could definitely be argued that you couldn't necessarily trust Woolite in the 1v2 good wave state to maintain that sort of position for any length of time, or to not necessarily be abused in these particular circumstances. It has been shown that he is uh, certainly better than a lot of people would give him credit for, like in their first game versus Schalke, for Woolite, example. Woolite or Han Sama? Hmm?
0: Woolite or Haan Sama? Which one are you talking about right now?
1: Oh, I'm talking about Eye right now. Okay. Um, but uh, in the first uh, game versus Schalke, for example, um, even though Schalke were executing um, f- uh, two-man mid into uh, four-man on side or three-man on top. Uh, th- they were still winning like rogue was still winning these fights with numbers disadvantage every single time that was what was so mind-blowing about it it was like okay so the situation we were predicting did occur where they are not getting these numbers advantages in these early skirmishes but they're still winning the skirmishes anyway and Woolite was actually a big part of that um but Woolite has also had those games where he is being legitimately 60cs behind um whereas han sammer is I, I don't want to say that he's a more consistent player i would just like say he's just a better player overall he's never had to go for any of these kinds of deficits but again he's never really had to deal with such a heavy roaming support but if anybody was able to do that given that both him and will have essentially had to lock vander and uh, gorilla last year in lane for most of the time or ignar before that um Hans Sam has clearly fared better against the other botlings in the LEC. So, if you're going to have the strategic development where Vander's going to have a lot more freedom to do the things that you're doing for the Ultra League of Squad in mid to late game but early game with Inspired, then this is the botling where Vander's going to be able to do that and that unlocks a hell of a lot more options for them and particularly Inspired than they had beforehand. That's where the the growth is going to come.
0: So it all again sounds like very good news for rogue but now i want you to put a number on it is it fourth is it fifth
1: Uh, so we've gone from we're not going to do lists to uh now we have to do it as a list the so rogue have a straight shot to third in summer if mad lions and vitality's bot lanes don't work out that's basically how it goes and if their bot lanes do work out, then Rogue will have competition, and then we also need to see how Schalke do in summer, because again, Schalke have a lot of players that are like kings of spring, so I'd imagine that they're going to end up doing quite well there, but when it comes to summer, we need to see what happens with Dreams, will Dreams be able to keep up with Forgiven, we have to see what happens with Abadarge. will abadarge be able to keep up with the changing face of mid lane uh, in Europe, and will he be able to improve from last year, even though it's theoretically a bit less responsibility onto mid than there was beforehand, and will Gilius be able to stay on the team for more than uh, a split? You know, like, the, there are a lot of question marks when it comes to Schalke, because I'm not quite convinced that this iteration <laughs> of Schalke will be the iteration of Schalke we see in summer. So, uh, but if those teams don't get their shit together, Rogue are the ones that are best placed to take the final world spot, so.
0: I think it's really interesting that in... Um... You know, approaching that discussion it was immediately looking at all the things around Rogue rather than looking at Rogue itself which I feel like always kind of goes back to that idea that a lot of fans have on Rogue is that somewhere there's going to be a ceiling cap and I don't know if that's necessarily fair to those players you said um, kind of in the beginning of this episode just the other day when we were discussing that you have a situation oh no it wasn't you I was actually talking to reckless today about it uh, he was saying that when you have a situation like Sama and Vander, who are very experienced players, but unfortunately it's never transitioned really into anything sort of tangible in their in their trophy case for especially fans to grab hold of, they almost kind of get that rookie mentality because it's just about proving yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have a roster that is so hungry and that mentality can be so... Um, so powerful and so encouraging to a very young team, and I think when people are placing Rogue, there's excitement around them, and you know, you just went into a lot of detail about kind of the strategic strengths that they have and the the, the depth of kind of all the different strong points and how the the changes will affect their roster and a lot of positives. But it's always then, okay, well, How well will Rogue do? Well, if you look at Schalke, if that team blows up, and if this team goes like this, and the mad lines they don't yeah. show up, and I think it's kind of that last intangible. I'm just curious. You know, is that is it fair to Finn? Is it simply that Rogue haven't been given the opportunities to show that they can be those superstars or the next superstars of the LEC? Or is it that we've seen enough and, frankly, they're good, but, you know, there has to be a difference between good and great?
1: I think there, there are players with incredibly high ceilings in a lot of other teams. The thing is that if you, uh, if you asked me how Mad Lions uh, would go, for example, if this was just about Mad Lions, I would say, like I said on the last episode, that this is uh, well I guess not the last episode the episode before last if we're splitting this into two <laughs> um, that it depends on if Mad Lions get their bottling together but I have to say that about Vogue I, I have absolutely no doubt that Rogue will be able to execute the strategies that they should have to execute to be able to make it to the World Championships. Um, so I have to talk about the state of everyone else if you want me to put them uh, on the list. Because for me, uh, I don't see, like, I've worked with Larson, I've worked with Vando, I've talked extensively to Finn, I've never really talked to Inspired much, but I, I used to talk a lot to Hans Sammer, though we haven't actually spoken too much in the last two years, um, and I know that they are many mentalities are the absolute kind of mentalities that you want if you want to be able to compete at a high level. So for Rogue, I have no doubt in that department it's the other teams around them that could potentially be their competition uh, outside of that and Fnatic that I, am, that I am more concerned about. I, I don't know if those guys can maintain the kind of mentality, I guess we're saying, that they need to compete at the highest level that they'll need to be able to. But I know that Rogue can do that. So it's just a question of if these other teams will be able to challenge Rogue once it comes to summer, once it comes to the world's race.
0: Okay, then let's kind of look at some of those other teams, specifically uh, sure. Mad Lions. So with the rebrand um, from Splice to Mad Lions, they retained kind of, I think, the big core piece that people really care about, which was Humanoid, um, and then built up a lot of different unknown names. I think if you're just an LEC fan, just kind of around them. I've been watching uh, some of the EU Masters to try to get familiar with some of these new players and these new faces coming in
1: like at that tournament for example I was always saying that Big were going to win the whole thing even though everybody was saying LDLC would win the whole thing because LDLC looks so dominant in France right and they are also a very dominant scrim team but I could see the decisions they were making I could see they were only able to do everything that they were doing because Steelback could always guarantee that he was unlocked himself right and I could see the decisions that Zoko was making I could see the decisions other junglers were making and I also realised that jungle really does not matter at this level by the way jungle does not matter in the EU level whatsoever. The best junglers very rarely win. They normally end up getting knocked out uh, like Razor got knocked out in semi-finals and this year Shadow got knocked out in semi-finals and that got knocked out in semi-finals both time and those are better junglers than the junglers that were in the finals and the junglers that ended up winning. Very often it will be the individual laning decisions that are made within the early minutes that will determine the rest of the game because when these laners are unlocked they end up making such a heavy impact on their own because the opposing jungler is not as capable of taking of taking advantage of the knowledge of where they are or where they could be as uh, higher level junglers are and as a result laners end up just working out a lot more and you could tell that the bot lane 2v2 strength and the decisions that they were making on big were much much stronger than the decisions that were being made by ldlc's bot lane in general and they, they were both they were both incredibly strong bot lanes i do have to say that but the best parts of the ldlc bot lane were the stuff still did out of lane and that doesn't matter if you can't get out of lane and you could tell that he was not actually going to get out of lane dependent on draft a bit obviously um but if you if you just looked at the decisions they were making really early on this is relevant because we're talking about mad uh, mad lions and mad lions have actually co-opted uh, kazi who was a major part of that from big, and it's one reason why I'm really high on him. But the reason these guys were able to beat um, Mouse so decisively was because that discrepancy exists in a much larger context versus the previous mouse bot lane and the previous Mal's bot lane support was Gistik, and that's the guy that they have now. Gistik was always much more of like a disengage support player, and the bot lane always kind of waited to be unlocked. They always did stuff like pick Renekton top lane, and they would have a pretty heavy push on top side, and then Shadow would unlock bot lane too do a swap towards topside, which was always their priority, and they would always be ahead on the swap, and they would almost always uh, get their leads through a 10-minute skirmish around Rift Herald, which they were always ahead on the playoff, because they always got this, this lane swap off, right? Um, But big solution to that was just to completely and utterly destroy the bot lane as fast as possible, which they could do. But because this was their style, I worry about the match between Gistic and Kazi in the bot lane together. I wonder which sentiment will prevail. If it's going to
0: be hard, aggressive, go forward, or more disengage play for jungle in numbers advantage. And the
1: history of splice has always tended towards the... Latter, right? Not really the strengths of Kazi. More of the strengths of Comp. If we're gonna, if we're gonna place these in these, I, I, I've always had these dichotomies of you're either the next forgiven, the next reckless, or, and this won't make much sense to anyone who hasn't been watching since uh, like season four, or you're the next tabs. That doesn't really make much sense. But this, 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 this window is a bit irrelevant now. It basically died with Nami, so we can just throw that out. But Comp is the next reckless, and uh, Kazi would be the next forgiven. And, and I just feel like they may be on the wrong teams for that. Uh, luckily, Vitality have kind of switched up. Now Duke's there and Duke was a major part of Splice um, last split and so maybe it's maybe better for Comp. Now they're not going to be the typical Vitality style. They might be close to the typical Splice style. should be good for Comp. But I don't necessarily think this is good for Kazi, you know?
0: Do you uh, prefer the Splice style? Like, do you think when you talk about kind of these systems and these different uh, formulas that you're placing teams in when you're trying to dissect them. Did you like what Splice were doing?
1: Um, Splice weren't doing anything consistent in early game. What Splice, uh, how I always describe Splice is that they played to disable so to speak. Um, I'd and say
0: neutralize, but you had to say a good word. Yeah,
1: because they, they, so most people, when they play to counter their opponents, they play to counter their opponents with aggression at certain points. But what splice would do would be they would match what you're doing and make sure that you are unable to do it. Right, and they would just do this for the entirety of the early game.
0: How much do you and attribute that to Xerxe versus uh, the rest of their laners? Right? I mean,
1: Xerxe didn't do anything like this in Unicorns. This is clearly like a scouting and a pre-planned thing. So I attribute. So you think it's all support staff? I think that particular decision to be that way is towards support staff, but that's not necessarily a praise. Um, And the the, the thing with this though is that they always had much better ways that they could have played out with the roster that they had and they just never did it and they were always going to be gated by doing this kind of disable thing early because not every single team has a specific key point that you could just disable and win the game with. So when you
0: say disabled, give me some tangible examples of splice neutralizing or disabling it opponent
1: so i already brought up the uh strategy versus fanatic that one then versus fanatic um but uh, probably a better one and more relevant one to this particular episode is what they did versus rogue uh wherein they knew their top laner was the cled one trick uh finn and they knew their strategy with uh, Kled Skarner, so these guys drafted Gangplank Gragas and essentially matched on top side uh, at level six for every single level six press of uh, Kled and Skarner that was going to happen, and they just prevented that happening every single time and thus prevented the snowball. They, they knew that there was a natural strategy that they would go into, they allowed them to go into it, and then they counted it in draft, but not in the way you would otherwise think where it would just snowball repeatedly, they counted it in a way where you're just not able to do what you want and eventually splice out scale at 40 minutes and it doesn't matter because they just have the better composition at that stage of the I've game. I've had moment.
0: the epiphany because Crumbs is talking about how... Uh Teams in NA, the strategy is like, this guy has a good mid laner, let's ban all the mid lane champions, just counter this guy. This team mm. has a good top Splice would be the perfect team in North America. Oh yeah, no, they would be the perfect team. And then they could just scale up forever in those A
1: Which is why they which is why they were very good at Rift rivals, because they are just a much, much better North American team. They're a North American team that had to play in Europe the whole time, right? But they they fall into the same issue once they get to the international stage because not every single team is like, oh no, we can't do the one thing we want to do this game. It's completely over like at, at some point you can't keep doing this you know and they never had to do it like both these rosters that the Splice organization built up are both being very very strong rosters um, and I feel like they get they get away with uh, without criticism a lot just because people see oh it's a rookie team therefore it must be 10th place I will dominate um, but but it's that's never worked like that in Europe the only way that you could think that would be if you're like completely blind to the history of the last half Decade of European League of legends, so that's just evidently not the case. That would be that would be the the tangible thing that I would bring up first. I'm just worried that they will try to do a similar thing again. Whereas Karzi's previous team, they decided, oh well, we're just never going to let you out of lane by killing you repeatedly and pinning you guys in on bad waves permanently, and then you're never going to be able to do what you want.
0: So I'll approach this from the the fan perspective because we just got a lot of information. You kind of talked about the history, the background of the Mad Lions and who these new players are, what their former playstyles were, because I think a lot of sp- the fourteen Splice fans that exist are looking at uh at this roster now and they're like, Fuck, we just lost Kobe. That was like, that was 50 to 75% of our team. Now we've only got this humanoid guy, and I only like him sometimes, and sometimes I'm very confused if I like him or if I don't like him. So, what what the fuck am I supposed to do? I can't even pronounce my support player's name.
1: I'm never confused. Humanoid's a phenomenal player, and he got severely underrated for the longest period, and that was always a massive injustice. Out of the three rookies, I'll stand by my statement that I humanoid, made Humanoid,
0: Nemi, and Abadaga. Yeah,
1: I'll stand by the statement that I made with uh, bef- the moment that all three were announced is that Hummel is the best of them. He's absolutely the best of them and he always will be the best of them. Um, Larson was the only one that could contest him but he doesn't contest him in the same way. They're not the same player whatsoever. Um, But he, like, if... I, I would choose one of those two players if you told me that I had to pick any of these rookies. That Larson and Humanoid? Yeah, or Larson Nemesis and Humanoid. And Humanoid. Okay. Larson and Humanoid. Not Nemesis and Humanoid. Nemesis will always be gated by champ pool issues.
0: It's funny, because I heard that Fnatic had the pick of the litter and they prioritized Nemesis over Humanoid. Yeah,
1: I mean, they did, they sort of had the pick of the litter, um, but yeah, and they ended up going with Nemesis, which is very strange to me because I know that one of the people that was on that list was leader and they didn't go for leader because of champ pool issues. Like, but you took, Nemesis.
0: <laughs> yeah, but, okay. I okay. mean, they landed there in the end. <laughs> so if... if uh, Is Humanoid then kind of like... If you had to break it down, the key player? Like, is this now the guy that they have to rely on? And you just gave Nemesis, Or Nemesis. Humanoid a lot of praise. Mm. Uh, is he... Does he have the right... Temperament for it? Does he have enough experience for it? Because... Uh, yeah, unfortunately now, without Xersei or Kabe or Chachi, like this is, Splice were already a very young team in terms of just how old a lot of uh, their their players were or had the experience. Like Xersei has been playing for a very long time, but was a very young guy, this was is kind well of known. like the leader of the team. And now they've lost pretty much every single leadership voice replaced it with uh, a lot of new faces. Is humanoid kind of the center anchor point or can this be They have be Shadow someone and else? Gistic. So you think it is Shadow then?
1: Yeah, Shadow and Gistic will be the leadership voices. I I am not entirely sure the division is there, but I know Shadow and Gistic were essentially running the show on mouse.
0: Do you buy into the hype around Shadow?
1: I created the hype around Shadow, so yes.
0: Okay, perfect. So sell me.
1: Um, well, Italian jungle. It's very easy <laughs> for me to sell Shadow to you because Shadow was offered into an LSPL team and he rejected the offer uh, to stay in Europe. Uh, he so was Chinese. He's, he's Chinese <laughs> approved. Yeah, yeah. He has. I believe he has Chinese uh, nationality as well.
0: I don't know if it's dual citizenship, but I saw. I think it's dual. citizenship. Chinese he was born, born in Italy. Italy. Oh, he's born in. Italy? I think he
1: was born in Italy. Okay. Is what I? I'm ninety nine percent sure he was born in Italy, uh, but to an ethnic Chinese family, and he has nationality in both um so yeah uh, he's yeah he, he he's a phenomenally talented player he's the smartest jungler to uh have come out of the erls in a long time uh, the only jungler who is as smart as him is dan by the way uh who is currently on fanatics academy team uh and i know that he had some offers but he also had a, a buyout is what i've heard but there you go um the thing with shadow though is that shadow was probably the only player that was able to play i don't want to say a variety of styles because that just really really puts it into a very into an area that is not really what reality is but he's the only guy who both efficiently knew when to and when not to do camps versus do a gank versus get control versus do anything he was the only one that had that kind of efficiency while being able to respond to the changes going on around uh, the map based on what the enemy jungler are doing and based on what his lane to the day. He's
0: good at reading map state. When you and Crumbs yeah. talk about um... You know, in one of our previous episodes, if you have a jungler who loves to play, you know, Rengar and Shaco, I think was the example that Crumbs used, and then you stick him on Sejuani duty and you just literally are torturing this poor kid, is he ever going to fall into a situation like that? Or is this a guy who has good map state, um, obviously a good brain and temperament for the game, and does he also have the flexibility in the champion pool? Could you make him run Sejuani duty if that champion is the be all end all pick and he would be fine with it? Or if this is this a guy that's gonna get restless?
1: So he can do Sejuani duty, um, but I think only TSM would be uh, suicidal enough to want to run him to that. And I mean, they have to on Their their owner is the mid laner now, so what, what, what are you gonna do about it? Um, but he has always actually been phenomenal. With champions like Kindred, Kindred was his mainstay, right? You could actually build a composition I'm around more Shadow. While Shadow was on the team, yeah. Uh, and farming junglers as we know, are are much more and more meta now. I'm getting when,
0: excited about a guy who's good at reading maps, day understands when to farm camps, and then picks Kindred as his champion because the mechanics that you could do there are pretty fucking cool. Yeah,
1: Kindred was Kindred was one of his mains um, and and that is a kind of style that is very, very viable uh, in the new season. So I think he's coming in at the exact right time. Uh, but he does have the fidelity to play stuff like Sejuani, etc. That would just be a waste of Shadow's Talents and a waste in this meta. So I don't imagine we'd see it. But if the meta did switch back to there, yes, he would do that. And yes, he'd be intelligent enough to maximize the use of Sejuani at the stages of the game where he's supposed to... He's probably the jungler that you would have to teach the least to when he joined the LEC. That's the attraction of Shadow, and that's very good if you want him to also become a central voice in the team. Because even though Humanoid's only been there for like one year, you must be thinking he must be thinking when a guy comes in from the amateurs, saying, "Oh well, you have a lot to learn before you can tell me what to do," you know, stuff like this. But. That really won't be the case with him. Uh, And at the same time, I think Aroma has always been uh, a pretty decent voice, but it's just, it's been difficult for him to be the most impactful person when he was on the previous... what are they? Uh, Splice Vipers a horrible name <laughs> the Splice Vipers roster uh, because he was relegated to Tank Duty and he had Tear Wolf as his jungler so it was a bit difficult probably for him to do that there, but they ha- do have a Capcom voice if they do need it and Aroma is someone that people should be incredibly excited for I've sung this guy's praises for about two to three years now um, but this guy uh, it's very clear how heavily inspired he is by his fellow countrymen in Oda from the way that he plays um, he has a very strong fidelity of styles, even though he was just relegated to your oinking toppling for this the entirety of uh, the entirety of this season last season but the seasons before that he was able to show off uh, his prowess on champions like fiora as well so you also have a lot of fidelity on top side as well as well as a guy who's fully willing to play weak side while you have kazi in the bot lane if Kazi is the one that comes out on top, given that Gistik is also down there. Right? So is it
0: fair to say then that um, this new Mad Lions roster, former splice, have the ability that they have a carry theoretically in all three lanes and then they have a jungler could, yeah. who's smart enough that can utilize multiple styles so is this a case where you have a roster potentially that could play the three-man mid the uh opt to decide whether that is bot or top and with an ever-changing meta have a flexibility in champion like they're never gonna hit a, a a gate and then it's like okay if we've got hype guys like shadow and hype guys like humanoid you are now singing the praises of both their top and bottom lane yeah that you know the sky's the limit it's just what do they actually show on stage?
1: It comes down to gistic for me um, because typically somebody who is capable of playing incredibly aggressive is also capable of of not playing aggressive, right? You're just telling them not to do something. It's easier to tell someone not to do something than to tell someone to learn to do something, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Gistic, on the other hand, has spent a rather long time not being that kind of aggressive player. He does have a history of playing stuff like Shen, of playing stuff like Alistair, and of playing stuff like Rakan, but he typically has not been that guy. I have seen him do it.
0: Everyone can play Nautilus.
1: I've seen him do it. I just need to know that he can do this to an acceptable level. And if he can, then yes, they have that flexibility. If he can, an uh, acceptable level for LEC. I just haven't seen enough of him doing that in the last years. Do you Those think is very good.
0: he's a smart enough support that at the top end, he'll be able to, because especially in the LEC, because Fnatic and G2, like you were talking about, do kind of set the the tempo or the theme kind of for a lot of teams. Would he be able to follow Hilly and Mickey will he be smart enough that he can unlock that he can roam over into that mid lane that he can be where his team needs to be or is he going to be someone who is a bit more confident in lane
1: Um, smart enough to get on the level of Hillisung potentially yeah in the future right now no Um, Part of what allows Hillisang to do the things that he does is also reckless. You have to bear that in mind, so we're also having to judge Kazi here. Uh, When it comes to getting to the level of Mickey X, I'm not necessarily going to say that he is capable of doing that, because the differentiating factor between Mickey X and every other support is that he has the intelligence, but he also has a mechanical level that is just above all of them. Um, and uh, I'm not quite sure if I'm willing... Yeah, I mean, I won't say that I, I think Gistik's going to be able to. If he did do that, then that would surprise me. But he's going to be able to be good enough to match and defeat Mickey X in a game at some point if he plays on his A game. He has the capability to do that. It's just... Even if he was able to do that at some point, like there's still no way that I wouldn't pick Mickey X over him. One thing that he does have over Mickey X is that he is actually very vocal, and Mickey X is not necessarily the most vocal person on the planet. Um, so there's a position that he is fulfilling within this team, uh, which is not necessarily an a tangible attribute that you can match up versus Mickey X. Right?
0: So. If we're between uh, Rogue and Mad Lions, to me, just to kind of recap, it does sound that you're leaning more towards Mad Lions. You made the the statement that Mad Lions theoretically should be the third team that go to Worlds, you know, if the stars align and they perform to expectations, where...
1: Well, there's an if for them, and there isn't really an if that Rogue are good enough. So I'd have to, logically speaking, hedge my bets on Rogue right now because I have less question marks around Rogue than I do around Mad Lions.
0: Okay, so right now, entering Spring Split... Rogue theoretically should be better than Mad Lions, but there's the potential that Mad Lions would be better than Oh yeah,
1: no, Mad Lions and Spring Split, I don't imagine, are going to be like a top four team or something, but if they are then that would be a very pleasant surprise if they were able to get their shit together as early as possible because this would mean that none of the players walked in with like stage nerves or anything like that. They were all able to work really well together even in the initial scrims. uh, I expect that they'll be really strong come summer no matter what, Um, kind of like the previous uh, splice roster that uh, not last year's splice roster, but the first splice roster that winter, the to 2016 Worlds. one, yeah, 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 the one that was previously called Follow Esports. This guy was not good at branding. Holy God, actually. Do you, okay, just, 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 just comment if you remember Follow Esports, by the way, and I will like your, I will like your comment. Oh my God, I remember that. But um yeah, the, the, when it comes to that roster, that roster had one of the worst spring splits ever on record, and then had a really phenomenal summer split where it even made it towards the finals. Right? I, I expect this version of Mad. To, to do something like that um, with a much better brand.
0: Okay. So then looking at kind of the rest of the landscape, there has been a lot of conversation with you around uh, Schalke and kind of like if those pieces will fall together, the potential of that roster and how powerful it oh, could yeah. be. But we've kind of skipped over Vitality, Misfits and SK. And I know that it kind of feels like those teams are the ones that are, are starting to drag towards the bottom. I haven't even mentioned Excel, so also I'm assuming they're kind of on the bottom half. If you had to pick a team from that category, we'll call it we'll call it the gutter. Who do you pick out of there as kind of the <laughs> The surprise factor.
1: Well, for me, Rogue, Vitality, and uh, Mad Lions are, like, one subset. There's G2 Fnatic, which is the upper subset. So,
0: like, our contenders.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shulker are in a really weird kind of juxtaposition where they could be between any of the three subsets that we're talking about um depending on when it is and i think in spring they're going to lead the pack in the second subset um but so we'll in summer the... depending on what happens they could be anywhere from the last subset to the first subset right? do you think
0: it's fair to say like maybe dark horse potential
1: <laughs> their dark horse potential is probably a good thing to say about them do you them, put yeah.
0: origin up there with them or do you think origin's slightly below
1: Origin is uh, Origin is also a curious case that I honestly need to think a lot more about because I really love pretty much every player that is on the origin and I could also immediately see some strategic issues that will occur like Nuke Nukeduck uh, plays best when he's able to perform uh, his split pushing side lane function optimally but Upset when we end up in the 1-3-1 scenario uh, it has a propensity to play a bit too aggro in the midsection and just get caught non-stop um, whereas there are scenarios where Upset is like the the primary carry of the team where he could perform really well if you're just forcing skirmishes around his aggression in midsection but Nuke duck doesn't perform the best in those particular kinds of scenarios right so origin are a really weird thing for me to put like shulker are something that I can definitely tell you are going to do really well in spring and then pff, uh, at some other point if they don't make certain changes or if like thing- things could just they could just end up being figured out because I can see a really good way that they could play from the off and I can also see how if certain players don't develop the players that we've already named um, and if, if, if whatever curse occurs with Gilius occurs again like then there, there could be another issue there in summer um, but I mean this has nothing to do with like the idea that oda One they or Forgiven are just like better in spring than they are in summer or something like this. Like Forgiven essentially got H two K to the world championships when, when we were placed freeze with him. Um, this is more about the other pieces, but with Origin, I honestly can't tell you how this is gonna work out it's it's very it seems like a bit of a clusterfuck to me in a sense i have no idea why destiny is there i think that's that's an unnecessary decision but i know that um there are players on there for whom the grass is always greener on the other side if you want a movie that is basically just about that by the way i really strongly recommend a movie I... called elephant sitting still go watch that um top section is still alfari i love i love alfari jungle is now Xerxes who um I want to see what happens now that he's not with Splice, because the way he played on Unicorns and the way he played on Splice were almost completely, completely different. Yeah, <laughs> so I I want to see how that works. I literally don't know what version of Xerxes is going to show up, right? And Cold was honestly my favourite aspect of the previous Origin roster, and it's so such a shame that he like whatever happened behind the scenes happened, and he hasn't gone out public with it. And Lord knows I'm not going to say anything uh, about it if he's not going to go public with it or anything like that. But it's like the biggest shame because they 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 were so close to, to make it to world championships with Zanzora. They got to five games like it's with Cold there and with the cold that we had before Riff rivals for sure like that they are easily the third world's team. Uh, it's 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 a collapse that that really does sadden me in a way. I honestly don't know how the surgeon Moss is going to turn out because so many things need to change before this b- about their specific play styles. This them as individuals need to improve. Certain ones of them have two different faces that we don't know which one's going to show up. I can't predict this team like I can normally predict teams because there's just so many different variables there. I don't know where to put origin there, so I just haven't been putting origin in any of these categories there. They exist outside of it, not for the, not in the kind of slider way that Shulker <laughs> do. They just, they, they just are out, outside of, of this kind of plane of existence, you
0: know? I mean, it's also kind of one of those situations where, again, it says so much where... That, that roster has Xersei on it, nuke uh, Nukeduck, Upset. I mean, obviously Destiny's this random that LEC fans aren't gonna have any affiliation to, but these are huge fucking names and really big brands and really popular players in the LEC, but everyone forgets about them. And it's almost like, how hard did you have to fuck up in your branding where Origin is the forgettable team where people be like, oh right, Deficio's team, all right, case team. I'm like, what happened there, where everyone else would be grabbed a hold of first? And then when people actually look at the roster on paper, you're like, the potential and theory of if that roster shows up on its absolutely best day and it works perfectly, you're like, that could be a top team in the LEC. And we'll find out today if that starts on day one of the LEC versus Fnatic. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be casting that matchup, and while the general tone will always be overarching history between the organizations, for me, this is simply a gut check for the LEC start. Theoretically, both these orgs should be heavy hitters, with big expectations, but this match won't be the titan's coliseum, but more realistically, the telltale of how Europe is thinking about the 2020 meta, and how much decay has happened over the offseason. I'll be looking at Fnatic's read on the meta, specifically as a team that is usually gravitated towards a specific pick or style that works best in the moment, things like their Garen's and their Karma's bots. I want to know where Youngbuck's influence started and the players began. For Origin, my eyes will be on Destiny. As an oceanic import, he carries a big burden on his shoulders for his fellow countrymen, and has to face the only unchanged and likely most powerful bot lane to kick off the LEC in Hilly Sang and Reckless. If Destiny can't cut it and Origins bot lane collapses in every top level matchup, especially with jungle support Sanji being so valuable right now, a potential hole in this style could leave OG limping off the start. Now, finally, some housekeeping to get out of the way. Now that off-season has settled and the games are returning, Toad will have a more consistent schedule and formula with something to finally analyze again. Every week on Tuesday, the podcast will release to cover both L- LCS and LEC previous weekend games with predictions on the matches upcoming. I'll be reaching out to incorporate interviews with those in the scene and hopefully making some more robust content. Reminder that you can catch Veteran on Twitch and Twitter at VeteranEU, and his link for his Discord chat and YouTube channels will be, as always, in the show notes below. Thank you, and see you Tuesday.